AI, large language models, and the writer strike resolutions. This is Mac Voices. Today's edition of Mac Voices is supported by the Mac Voices Dispatch, our weekly newsletter that keeps you up with everything Mac Voices is doing. From our published episodes to Chuck's other appearances to special events and more, subscribe at macvoices.com newsletter and stay fully informed so you don't miss a thing. Welcome to Mac Voices. This is the talk of the Apple community, and I'm Chuck Joyner. The writer's strike is over, the actor's strike is ongoing, and the Mac Voices Live panel has some strong thoughts on how AI and large language models are being handled and will be handled in Hollywood. Let's go back and let the panel do the talking. The first story I want to get into tonight is one that, that Mark had proposed for last, last week, and we just didn't get to it. Um, and that is the WGA contract negotiations. Whoops, that's the wrong chat room. Um, and Mark, I'm going to let you take off on this because of what you found so interesting in it and you thought worthy of discussion. Yeah, so if you drop the link into both the show notes and the, uh, you know, and uh, the Mac Voices voice chat room, you know, people can take a look at it. You know, it's basically it's, it's the term sheet that summarizes the agreements between uh, the Writers Guild and the studios. And what I thought was most interesting was, yes, you know, normal salaries, there is a little bit of bump. And in terms of work teams, they have, you know, some agreements on how many, you know, how many have to be on the, uh, you know, on, on the project. And there's some other details about, you know, depending on how long the show is, you know, they can't just hire writers for, you know, this is illustrative points, you know, they can't hire just writers for, you know, five shows if they're planning, you know, to do 10 or 12, you know, uh, you know for, the, for the first season. So, I mean, there, there, are, there are details like that. But to me, the most interesting part was um, they call out, you know, different bonus schedules they get for streaming video. You know, so you know, I guess for the first time they you know, announce, you know, some uh, royalty rates on long, long stream, the, you know, web, you know, long tail. But they indicate things that, you know, if it is in the top, you know, whatever, you know, the top three of, you know, shows, you know, they can get like a somewhere between a fifty and $60,000 bonus per writer, you know, if the, if the series is a success. And I think this is significant because, you know, so many people seem to love, you know, to binge watch, you know, shows when they come out. So basically, mm-hmm. you know, what it's, the way I interpret it is, you know, as saying that, you know, if the writer creates such a good, compelling plot, you know, that people want to binge watch it, you know, in the first uh, 60 days of, uh, of release, you know, then they deserve a bonus for creating such a good plot. You know, so, you know, they have that, you know, there's some other details about use of, you know, AI that they won't use generative AI, you know, to write scripts, but, you know, writers can use it, you know, for fleshing out scripts and, Generative AI can be trained on, you know, writers' scripts. So, you know, I think they they put a salve on some of the, to me, were the the paranoia concerns of the uh, writers' guild about ultimately will you know AI large language models replace them? And we've talked about that before. And I think no, you know, you need the spark of human innovation, and the language models just 
are not there yet. So um, that's uh, that was uh, you know basically my summary takeaway. Uh, what do you all think about uh, writers getting bonused on if they make a show that's really popular and you know, consumed in the you know first sixty days of uh, of release? Does it? Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say. Uh, uh, oh, go go ahead. I do have uh, several friends who are WGA members. Uh, they seem to be quite happy with this deal, uh, both in the pay structure and the protections. I was going to say, based on the um, the bonuses and how how it looks like it's written, it does. I see a line in there talking about subject to confidential confidentiality agreements with regards to the streaming data transparency, but I wonder if you know, even with that confidential confidentiality agreement, how much of information might get leaked out. Um, so much is such a mystery, you know, on how well shows perform and, and how things do, you know, and it'll be interesting to see and hear how shows, I think, perform and based on, you know, these bonus structures coming into play. Right. Well, well I is think, it, yeah, I think is it really going to matter? Because most streaming services or a lot of streaming services don't have an ad component, which is a value add for the, the people that are doing the streaming. And most of the time I thought it was, okay, well, you've created a, a uh, compelling show. And if it gets picked up for another season, well, then you make more money. So what am I, what am I missing there? So before tabling that for a moment, because, I tried to think of it from that perspective too, Guy. But back to Brian's point, um, I think the the breakthrough here is that for the first time, the the, uh, the studios are sharing this sort of information. So of course, yes, it needs to be under confidentiality, and I'm sure that if they get into uh, you know final contract, there may be some penalties if they breach it. So you know, I think there will be an enforcement mechanism so that um, whoever in either the WGA leadership, the guild, the union leadership, or you know, the writers you know, who you know, get to see that data, that there'll be some sort of self-policing mechanism. So you and I will never know that, you know, did this one show have you know, one stream or 20 million streams in the first three weeks on, on Netflix? But you know, I think it is, a, uh, it is a breakthrough for the first time that it, instead of being treated as a you know, fixed cost and costs get minimized. Uh, you know, they're being treated more as a partner. You know, contributing to the success of a particular video or video series. Well, one thing that kind of, or would concern me as a writer, would be if I mean they've basically pushed the responsibility of using um, language models, AI, for lack of a better term from the studios to the writers themselves. So if the writers themselves decide that they want to have more of the pie, then they could go ahead and use an AI language model and cut out other writers. Instead of bringing in more writers, they could kind of just do it themselves and flesh it out using language models and AI. That's true. And again, I think, you know, this sort of contract indicates that uh, the writers are an essential partner of the studios. And 
you know, like, you know, using a computer instead of a typewriter, AI models are an efficiency tool, you know, that can be used to the benefit of the writer, which ultimately, which ultimately, you know, transitive property will, will benefit the studios. Mm -hmm. The one thing I, well, first of all, I think it's very interesting, sort of to the point both of you've made, that the writers didn't want the studios using it, but there's no prohibition on the writers using it. Exactly. And Guy, they didn't want point, to get cut out. Yeah, but but the idea of them cutting each other out seems to be palatable, or at least you know, a not possibility. As as, yeah. So when you say cut each other out, who who are the two parties? Who are the each others? Well, the, the other writers. writers. And, the writers. I'm going with Guy's idea that you know, okay, so maybe I don't need five of you to come in and help me write a show. Maybe I can I can do it with one other person or just me and. Oh, and, but and again, they had AI. other they had other restrictions in there of certain minimum size writers' rooms and so on and so forth. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's yeah, not which, as cannibalistic as that. Yeah, and that bothers me too a little bit. But you know, I the the streaming oh, the I mean that's the AI. The streaming part though, I think is interesting. And I mentioned this on the show before, I think, but when I went to the Star Trek convention in Vegas this year, it was during the strike. And so there was only so much they could talk about. So they talked a lot about the strike. And the idea that, first of all, the studios, and of course, this is very, this is their side. So I'm not taking sides, I'm just reporting. But their take was that the studios are not sharing, were not sharing the information and that the information always seemed to creep above the line and never and, and all the expenses seemed to creep above the line and never got down so that shows were not making any profit or very minimal. The second thing, though, and this makes a lot of sense to me, is before, let's just say you wrote for a show for NBC. It was going to be on NBC and that was it. Mm -hmm. And maybe it would be in reruns and maybe eventually it might get onto Peacock. But in a, in a streaming world, it can go anywhere, and it it can be seen so many more times, so much more easily, and most likely will be seen so many more times if the show has any quality, and the writers were not being compensated for that. And so I, I looked at it and thought, you know, they do have a point because right. I, I can. If they make, I can if go you and, write a script, if they write a script that it becomes the the talk of the proverbial water cool that everyone wants to see, uh, yeah, they should be compensated in some way, you know, for being that good, you know, in creating that thing. But yeah. even over the even over the longer term, Mark, you know, you think about, oh man, somebody help me with a popular show, you know, okay, Billions. go. Shock what? for you, I love Lucy. <laughs> I, you know what? I was thinking about that because I was talking Star Trek. So think about how many times I love Lucy has been viewed not just on broadcast tv but on syndication you know, and syndication else, yeah. but but then on the web add to the fact that you have now dvd collections or did that's mm -hmm. going to slide away a little bit and you realize that yeah the writers were before maybe they would have written something that was seen for let's just say 200 hours and now it's nothing to have it be seen for 20,000 hours yeah, and generating money all that time. And well, so up to it, a certain point, because you, you a lot of this stuff does end up in public domain. Mm -hmm. Eventually, yeah, very eventually. But in the meantime, there's a lot of money being made, 
true. And how how long will that public domain argument? I mean, we've seen Disney argue against that how many times? But I, again, I think reading the contract, you know, I think they're you know they're not worried about the long tail. You know, does something come, become really popular? You know, twenty seven years from now, they're worried about you know, okay, if we create something and it becomes a success and mm -hmm. everybody around the globe watches it, you know, we should get comped for you know creating something that good. And it seems like that's what the contract uh, has has accomplished. You know, I mean, every union wants to make more money, but this seems to me that it's it's not just uh, pugilistic. You know, who's who's going to beat the you know you know CRAP out of uh, the other party? You know, it's uh, it seems like you know more they've aligned around. They have common interests. You know, the the studios want to make money. Uh, the streamers want to make money, the writers want to make money, and they're all in in it together. Yeah, and to bring a little bit of context to this, um, the last time there was a WGA uh, strike with the studios, uh, the two the reimagined Battlestar Galactica was on the air. Uh, streaming was very much in his infancy, and it was designed completely for network and cable TV. Well, uh, especially in the last decade, even in the last five years, uh, that has changed dramatically. So you, when it comes to the pay structure, uh, a, a show that got picked up on say NBC or ABC, uh, the, the writers would be paid in a much different manner if it was an absolute hit on Netflix. And I mean, it wasn't that wasn't necessarily anyone's fault. That's just how the deal was written. But uh, and that's why there was such a work stoppage with this. Uh, because the realities of technology uh, just could not be imagined in that last deal. And right. so where it's, where it's going to get really interesting, I think, is we've got the writer's strike resolved to, I guess, everybody's satisfaction. Mm -hmm. What's going to happen? We get It'll be very interesting to see what happens with the actor strike. Because we've well, seen some of their concerns already demonstrated um, in... I'm, I'm sorry, Callie's not here because she could tell me exactly which characters, but in the Star Wars movies that, you know, they have aged people, they've de-aged people, they've brought people back from the dead. Mm -hmm. um, and and pretty darn credibly, as the, the more recent ones have been better than the first couple attempts. But even yeah. the first couple attempts, if if you didn't know it, you might have thought that somebody just was having a bad day or had a cold. So and it's not just it's not just those series. Uh, Scorsese you know, used it on Pacino and De Niro in his uh, movie, you know, The Irishman. You know that I think it's three and a half hours or so. That epic you know thing is available on Netflix. You know, great movie, yeah. but uh, it requires a lot of uh, shall we say batacal fortitude. <laughs> yeah, if you want to watch it in one session. Yeah, but I mean, if you look at uh, say. The Book of Boba Fett for Star Wars. Uh, the character of Luke Skywalker, uh, they had a stand in. They had Mark Hamill running lines, and then they digitally 
grafted uh, Mark Hamill's face onto, or Mark Hamill from 1982's face on the stand-in actor and digitally recreated Mark Hamill's voice from the original trilogy. So why it's not feasible financially, uh, except in very, very important characters, uh, the ability to completely digitally create a character and a voice isn't some far off future. It's here. Well, they did the and, same thing with Indiana Jones. Yeah. Well, and then you're right. Right now, it's it's borderline prohibitively expensive. But give it five years. Give it seven yeah. years. Give it 10 years. And it's going to be it's going to become a whole lot more affordable. Yeah. It'll be, I like, mean, it'll be like Memojis, except yeah. you'll have a, you'll have an Indiana Jones that can walk and talk and, and tell you how to cook eggs. Yeah. I mean, ju- just look at the differences in Luke Skywalker between the season two uh, finale of the Mandalorian and the book of Boba Fett. Uh, there was this guy who did a deep fake better than, the technology that Lucasfilm was using, well, they went out and hired him. Yeah. It, it, we, you know, I, I realize this isn't all necessarily Apple related, but it's all technology related and it's things that affect us that you need to be aware of because now we can do things with our Macs and soon to be able to do even more with our Macs that tread sort of in this environment a little bit. Um, so- Bring it back to a Mac, you know, Apple is, you know, they've, I think they're, they've released or they're in beta with their personalized voice. And from what I understand, they have a fixed text that you need to read in order to train it. But, you know, what if, um, you know, what if I, you know, take, you know, you Chuck or Jeff Gamut, you know, from a podcast and train the thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, I have something that, uh, you know, can, uh, you know, you know, I can uh, drive to speak and sound like either one of you. So, um, you know, it's not just uh, for Hollywood productions. It's it's coming a lot closer to uh, what we do. Yeah, and I've heard a couple uh, a couple folks do that, Mark. And it does, I mean, I'm sorry, it comes out very credible. They sound a little bit flat and emotionless, but that's now. You know, what are the next two versions going to bring? They're, they're going to pick up our the nuances of how we sound and maybe where we get enthusiastic about something, vary the speed of our speech, and it's going to get even more interesting. So well, you know, I'll say for after dark, you know, you know, a discussion about that. That you know, Webb has a little bit of insight into uh, you know why you know somebody might want to impersonate another person's voice, but that's after dark material. <laughs> Webb, did I see your hand? Going? Oh, yeah. I was just going to add that that we're, we're kind of getting on to uh, this whole. Uh, I use the term loosely artificial intelligence and being able to to simulate somebody, and that's part of the Screen Actors Guild or um, strike that's going on. Is uh, you know, as an actor, uh, my face. My I'm not an actor, but as an actor, my face and my voice is my trademark. And uh, that could be taken away um, without some regulation. I, I think that's a valid point too. And it's 
goes it lines up with with uh, some of the things the writers guild was talking about too so that's all i was going to add yeah, yeah i agree I mean, I mean there's certain voices like samuel l jackson uh you know where yes i mean yes he needs to protect his image but i think more importantly he needs to protect his voice yeah so what happens if somebody decides to go back i'll go back to your um your example uh mark if somebody decides they want to uh recreate desi arnez's voice well who who, who gets paid at this point okay or he, does, does, does it but wait or does his he, voice he's, ever he's, pass into the public domain like i said I, I don't know he's he's dead you know let's i think that would that's an important issue but i think it's the side i think it's more what about a living actor right now you know can you uh you know, the uh, the Brian Cox, you know, I don't know, we've talked about that show Succession is off cough, you know, and, you know, that uh, that expression and, you know, he's he's been doing, uh, you know, uh, you know, other uh, commercials just just using that sort of tone and attitude, you know, you know, and that's something that you know, right now he's being compensated for because you know, it's something he does. But, you know, could somebody you know, just you know, impersonate that and not compensate him for it? I think that's exactly what the debate is about. And I think the actors are saying, no, you know, my voice, my mannerisms, my look, you know, is, uh, is mine and I'll license it to you. And I'm interpreting here, you know, is, you know, you have rights to use it within a context of movie X, Y, Z or commercial ABC, you know, but you can't take that and imitate me for, you know, uh, pick an application, a customer support you know, uh, video or a promotional video. So I think these are important issues. And I think, again, it, it goes back to, uh, it goes back to copyright as well as contractual issues. You know, you hire me for one thing, you know, you can't use any of that work product in, you know, any other things. And I, th I think we've touched upon this before in previous shows, but I, I think it's the same issue. I, oh, I think it's the same issue, but I guess the precedent has to start somewhere. And for those actors, I mean, I'm I'm thinking about the the kind of actors that people idolize: uh, Marilyn Monroe, Humphrey Bogart, John Wayne, you know. And and I'm reaching intentionally back into the 50s and 60s, and 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 thinking, you know, okay, they're not only are they have they passed, but it probably maybe even one generation down has passed. But and I so, think what do you do with that? It, what what is acceptable? Well, what, I, I was the, those, what was the um, I think compensation cases, for Humphrey Bogart's estate for played against Sam? But again, that idea. goes no that, that goes back to you know I think you know I think are those things there are you know there are estates there is property there is residual interest. Uh, we'd have to look at you know sort of what does the law in those cases provide, and I think that uh, again I think that's a contractual image that. Uh, you know, if if a if a precedent is set, you know, with the new actors, uh, you know, uh, studio, I would assume you know, right away that uh, you know that could be cited, you know, as lawyers love to do. That's precedent for asserting it, you know, for Humphrey Bogart, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, estate, uh, you, you know, testamentary interest. Yeah. So it's. I mean, we're going to be doing this we're going to be having these conversations for a while 
as oh, yeah. things evolve. Mm-hmm. And you know, there, there, there are attorneys salivating all over this, just like there are marketing people salivating over it to see what they could or would be allowed to get away with. Question for you, Chuck. You know, so you raised the question. Do you have a do you have a sense of how this might shake out for uh, voices and likenesses of uh, of dead actors? I have no idea. I mean, I think you you brought up a good one. Maybe that is one of the precedents right there. I I don't know what because I don't know what the mechanics are. I mean, what was it? It was a couple of years ago that they pulled out some some dead actors um, and used them in commercials. Yes, I remember. And that. I don't, yeah, and I don't, I'm embarrassed to say I don't remember which actors or even what products, but it was very specific that they were pulling, you know, those, those entities with the technology available then. And that is the technology now is far beyond that. And so what case law has been created already and what wow. is going to be challenged? And, you know, where, where do you, where are the lines? Well, you know, we, I think we all know that, you know, that famous picture of Albert Einstein where he's smiling and sticking his tongue out. Yeah. You know, there is, you know, there is some descendant chain, you know, that that is that picture is copyrighted. And, you know, to use it, you need to pay some sort of either purchase and rights and use fee or royalty into what ultimately is, uh, you know, the Albert Einstein, uh, you know, trust you know, whatever number of family members and it's, it's passed uh, through. Yeah. Um, Matt, Matthew in the, uh, in the chat room has said, he pointed out a Star Trek episode where a leader was drugged, put behind a big microphone. So you couldn't see his lips move and played tapes of pre pre pre-programmed speeches. Um, And that was patterns of force. Yep. Um, And so he brings up, you know, what if you had a sicker elderly president and he or she oh, yeah. was incapacitated. What oh, could you do? Oh, hey, man, no, no. I thought we don't talk politics on this show. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, we aren't saying saying anybody in specific specifically. Oh, oh, oh okay, yes. And he also pointed we, out that the actor I was thinking of was John Wayne. I don't know what the product was, but so. So, what Star Trek series was that? That was uh, the original series, Patterns yeah. of Force. John Gill was the name of the character. Yeah. God, how okay. did I pull that? Oh my God. Oh, I'm bringing that up now. Yeah, I know. It's, it's Jim. I'm a doc. Jim. I, I'm a doctor, I, not a voice. You know, not a voice artist. Uh, <laughs> Web. Oh, I was just gonna say, I feel so inadequate. I don't. I'm not up to my Star Trek uh, trivia as most. So, you know, I was wondering as this conversation was going on. Maybe it's not an issue, but boy, how would you like to be Rich Little these days? Uh, he was the famous <laughs> impressionist. Okay, and uh, um, yeah, it, it could. You know, talk about ruining a guy's career, you know? Yeah. I am not a crook. I'm not a crook, yeah. Well, I think in his case, because he wasn't portraying them as them, it was it was mostly satire. And satire yeah. has some special protections. Um, that's true. In copyright law. Uh, that's a real good point. S-F-P-C-C-S-M-F-T. You know, those are the abbreviations for the seven naughty words you can't use on radio or tv according to george carlin and his who is he george still carlin i know I'm no he, di- he died but i know, uh, I he's, know. Uh, yeah okay yeah <laughs> but he's all over youtube you can hear all sorts of versions about that and uh you know he's, he's a great you know just uh 
a lot of great George Carlin you know, memorial you know, stuff on uh, YouTube. This conversation has gone so many different directions, but <laughs> it it does make you stop and think about, you know, who's getting compensated, what is fair use, and it's, I mean, the, the Rich Little guy, you brought up a great point about it being satire, so Rich Little's probably protected, but then you think about the musicians who are constantly sampling each other, and, you know, the sampling tribute, a lot of- Tribute bands. Tribute bands, Yes. Great. You know, so where are, I mean, again, all these lines out there that need to be drawn, yep. if, if you have any sense of quote unquote fairness and, you know, once again, follow the money. It's all about Actually, the money. Uh, for tribute bands, um, most, most places will pay a fee to ASCAP or the BMI to, for those bands to be able to play those. Yeah, um, technically they are supposed to be paying a portion of the proceeds and royalties. Okay, so ASCAP, you know, and et cetera, they have a category for this sort of use. Yeah, except for yes. Kiss tribute bands, nobody nobody cares. <laughs> Careful guy, his army will come for you. Not, let him come. I am not <laughs> worried about them. Oh gosh, guys killed zombies. <laughs> yeah. Mark, I, I before we start the next story, I know you said you had a hard out at the top of the hour. Are you okay to start, or do you want to say goodbye, or stick around and just duck out when you need to? Oh, I don't know. Did I say uh, that? It, was, it was Brian? I that was Brian. It was Brian. Oh, Brian. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. Okay, oh. Brian. Yep, Brian. I'm, I'm I'm looking at the wrong wrong thing. So you're welcome to stay, stick around, say goodnight, uh, whatever. We we don't want to throw you out. We just want to make sure that we respect it. <laughs> Sure. Oh, well, just a couple minutes to the top of the hour. I'll go ahead and bow out then. Okay. Um, before you do, since we're if we're in case we're in the middle of things, where can folks find you? Uh, probably the best place would be uh, Mastodon. Uh, Brian8944 at Mastodon.cloud. Great. Thanks so much for coming uh, right in the middle of your vacation. Really appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much thanks, for having Brian. me. Appreciate Take care. Yes. Good night, right. Brian. See you soon. Take care. Likewise. Next time on Mac Voices... The panel discusses Spotify's latest move to try to stay relevant with its customers and who they're taking on to do it. I'm Chuck Joyner. That's next time on Mac Voices. As always, thanks for watching. Visit macvoices.com for show notes and to connect with Chuck on social media. Get involved in our Facebook group or like our Facebook page and get more out of your Apple tech with Mac Voices Magazine, free on Flipboard and on the web. And if you find value in it all, Consider supporting us through either our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash macvoices or by making a one-time donation via the PayPal link on our front page and in the show notes of each episode. You will join these fine people who help bring you Mac Voices. Advertising handled by Backbeat Media at backbeatmedia.com. Bandwidth provided by Cashfly at cashfly.com.